0: Hi, I'm Bruce Barber, and welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers. And this week, our hosts, Dr. Ed Chu and Dr. Ken Miller, are going to update us on skin cancer. Dr. Chu is the Deputy Director and Chief of Medical Oncology at Yale Cancer Center, and Dr. Miller, a medical oncologist, is the Director of the Connecticut Challenge Survivorship Clinic at Yale Cancer Center. And Yale Cancer Center Answers is a way to provide you with the most up-to-date information on cancer every Sunday evening here on WNPR. Dr. Chu and Dr. Miller welcome some of the nation's leading oncologists and cancer specialists. And these are really experts who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. They want to provide you with help and hope from Yale Cancer Center, and they're also available to answer questions. So if you'd like to submit a question about cancer, please email your question to yale.edu or you can call them at 1-888-2344-YCC. And the chances they may answer your question on a future show. If you're interested in listening to past edition of Yale Cancer Center answers, or if you'd like to learn more about a specific kind of cancer, all the shows are posted in audio and written formats on the Yale Cancer Center website, and that's at YaleCancerCenter.org. This evening, as I mentioned, Dr. Chu and Dr. Miller will discuss skin cancer. More than a million people are diagnosed in the United States each year with skin cancer, and protection, obviously, is the key to preventing skin cancer. So let's get started. Good evening, doctors.
1: Good evening, Bruce. Today we are joined by Dr. David LaFell, Professor of Dermatology and Surgery and Chief of the Section of Dermatologic Surgery and Cutaneous Oncology at the Yale Cancer Center at Yale School of Medicine. And David's also the author of the book, Total Skin, in addition to that, David also has a very key role here in the medical school where he's deputy dean for clinical affairs at the Yale School of Medicine and director of the Yale Medical Group.
2: Uh, David, let's begin by talking about the different types of skin cancer. And uh, can you tell us about them, how they, how they might look alike, how they may look different?
3: Sure, Ken. There are three types of skin cancer. Melanoma, of course, is well known. But non-melanoma skin cancer is actually the most common skin cancer throughout the world. The most common of those are basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. Today we're going to talk primarily about non-melanoma skin cancer, in other words, basal cell cancer and squamous cell cancer. Basal cell cancer uh, typically occurs as a small bump on the skin. It can appear as a sore that doesn't heal. Often patients will tell me that they noticed the area had been bleeding. They noted spots of blood on their pillow at night, on and off. And in my experience, that's one of the most common signs that a person has a skin cancer. Squamous cell cancer can appear in a similar fashion. It can be red or scaly. Uh, In general, I tell patients that if they notice a new bump, generally on sun-exposed areas, such as the face, head and neck area, uh, that hasn't resolved in a few weeks, it should be examined and evaluated.
2: I want to ask you more about that. If, let's go back to basal cell for a second. So someone sees a little bleeding on their on their pillow, and then the, the, the lesion or the spot on their skin totally heals up, absolutely goes away, um, and then comes back a few months later. Is, is that a skin cancer, or is that likely to be different?
3: Well, if it heals up and then comes back in the same spot, that's almost a classic story, indicative of a basal cell cancer. So if that happens, it's important to get it evaluated by a dermatologist and not wait for it to come back yet again.
1: David, is um, sun exposure uh, the only risk factor for, for individuals to develop this type of skin cancer that we're talking about this evening?
3: Skin cancer is caused uh, in the vast majority of cases by ultraviolet radiation from the sun primarily the ultraviolet B waves, uh, but also the ultraviolet A rays as well. In a very small number of cases, there are people who develop basal cell cancer who have had radiation treatments for acne many years ago, and very rarely, and we don't see it much anymore in Connecticut, people that have had exposure to arsenic, either through Mm. well water or pesticides that used to be used on farms, can develop skin cancer, but by and large, the vast majority of skin cancers in this day and age are caused by sun exposure, something people can control
1: and, and what about uh, you know the the, the um, involvement of age does that play a, a role at all in the development of skin cancer
3: that 's a great question um, when I was going when I attended medical school many years ago, uh, it was uncommon to see skin cancer in people under the age of fifty or sixty now. Uh, not a week goes by that I don't have a patient, usually a woman, in her 20s or 30s Mm. with a basal cell cancer. Uh, So I think those of us that specialize in uh, diagnosing and treating skin cancer have seen a change in the age distribution of skin cancer, and this has been confirmed by studies. We're seeing more skin cancer in younger people, in people in whom we've never seen it before.
1: And and why is that, David? Is that because... uh, there are they're, you know, sun goddesses and sun gods who are worshiping the sun and sunbathing. Is it due to tanning sal- salons? Because we're seeing a lot, I know in, in my gym, they also have these uh, tanning booths. And it seems that a lot of the youngsters are, are going in there after, before after they work out.
3: Uh, there, there are a couple of factors, at least. One certainly is lifestyle. People are spending more time outdoors. Children are probably spending more time outdoors. And remember that 85% of lifetime sun exposure that an individual gets, occurs, it is estimated by age 18. But Mm -hmm. if I'm able to convey no other message other than the following, uh, this will all be worthwhile. Tanning parlors are popular among young children, especially young women. They are a major source of harmful ultraviolet radiation. I believe they are the reason why we are seeing skin cancer in young women, women in their 20s. Almost all of the patients that I have who've had basal cell cancer in their 20s have told me that they use tanning parlors in their teens. Uh, If uh, listeners take away no other message, it is this. Stay away from tanning parlors. They are harmful. Ultraviolet radiation from these tanning parlors is carcinogenic, causes cancer, and that is a factor that is contributing to the increase in skin cancer, in my opinion.
2: So in a sense, the same way that cigarette packs say cigarette smoking can cause
3: lung cancer, I mean, really in a sense uh, tanning booths should have a warning too. Well, actually in many states, uh, access to tanning parlors uh, by people under 18 is relatively well regulated, and the risk of cancer, as you describe, is well noted. Uh, Connecticut lags behind other states in that regard, and we are working to try to get Uh, legislation that properly advises people of the risks of cancer. A quick question for you. Is there such a thing as a healthy tan? And along those lines, I mean, what is good about the sun for us? Well, um, technically speaking, there really is no such thing as a healthy tan because a tan is the body's reaction to an injury. As a result of ultraviolet radiation, the body's pigment cells produce melanin, which leads to tanning. That doesn't mean that a tan isn't attractive. Fortunately, there are many alternatives to harmful radiation exposure. One can use artificial tans, which are attractive, and help you avoid the harmful effects of artificial rays and sun rays itself. Um, The sun is definitely uh, uh, an attractive environmental element. Uh, And not to sound too fancy, we all enjoy going in the sun. It feels good, Uh, We're happy when we're in the sun and we're sad uh, during those long, dark winter seasons in the Northeast when there isn't much sun. And I think that one has to adopt a strategy that's common sense. Uh, Everything in moderation. Uh, When you're out in the sun, uh, use sun protection, and I'm sure we'll talk about it shortly in more detail, and also try to avoid the sun during peak hours.
1: What's interesting to me is that uh, I, I think uh, the dermatologists like uh, Dr. LaFell actually follow those words of wisdom because I think if, if you look at dermatologists in general, right, you don't see you know uh, very tanned individuals unlike some of the other physicians in different specialties.
3: I think you're right, Eddie. You know, we don't tell people to go crawl under a rock. Uh, you have to live your life and enjoy it. But just as you wouldn't walk in front of a bus uh, or... Ideally, just as you wouldn't smoke cigarettes, you want to be cognizant of the risks that you're taking and try to minimize them.
1: Great. So I think that's terrific advice. So David, if someone is concerned that they might have skin cancer, what's the next move that they should make? Who should they go see to have it uh, more fully evaluated?
3: The uh, ideal approach is to seek out someone who has expertise in skin cancer. And all board certified dermatologists in the state of Connecticut have been rigorously trained in uh, evaluating, diagnosing, and treating skin cancer. Very often, we'll see patients referred to us who've had their initial uh, cancer identified by their primary care doctor, their internist, who then sends them on to uh, the dermatologist for further evaluation. Um, The most important thing uh, uh, to keep in mind, I think, is, number one, more often than not, patients themselves are the first to become aware of a lesion. And uh, my rule of thumb is, if you see something and you're not sure about it, when in doubt, check it out. And if you follow that dictum, I think you'll be in pretty good shape.
2: When a patient goes to a dermatologist uh, uh, like yourself, uh, or a dermatologic surgeon, which is uh, your specialty as well, how do, how do you find out uh, if it is a cancer or not?
3: Uh, understandably, nobody wants to go to the doctor. Uh, on the other hand, The fear that people have about going to the doctor can be minimized in this regard if uh, listeners understand that the process for making a skin cancer diagnosis is very rapid. In our uh, referral uh, practice at the cancer center, we see patients that are referred by dermatologists who have already made a diagnosis. And the way they've made that diagnosis is by doing a small biopsy. It's done in the office, takes only a matter of minutes, and it involves uh, numbing the skin very briefly with some anesthetic uh, and then shaving off uh, or sampling a small piece of the growth. That's then sent to a specialist in pathology of the skin called a dermatopathologist who then looks at the uh, biopsy under the microscope and renders a diagnosis uh, about whether the growth is uh, skin cancer, in fact, or otherwise benign.
2: Uh, I just want to ask in general, when, when when you or most dermatologists look at a skin lesion, how accurate are you based on just observation as opposed to, you know, when you actually compare it
3: with the results of the biopsies? Uh, dermatologists have been shown to have a very high degree of accuracy uh, when you compare their clinical diagnosis, in other words, what they thought the thing was when they looked at it compared with what the thing actually turned out to be when it was looked at under the microscope. Dermatologists are visual experts and uh, we uh, really rely on pattern recognition. And it's not very difficult actually to uh, teach people what to look for. In my book, Total Skin, there are eight pages of color pictures that uh, are intended to give the uh, uh, lay reader an opportunity to understand what to look for themselves. Well, we'd like to remind you to email your questions to us at uh, canceranswers at
2: yale.edu. And we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Then please stay tuned to learn more information about skin cancer with Dr. David LaFell from the Yale Cancer Center.
0: Did you know that this year over 170,000 Americans will be diagnosed with lung cancer? More than 85% of lung cancer diagnoses are smoking-related, and quitting smoking even after decades of using cigarettes can significantly reduce your risk of developing lung cancer. Now, every day, patients with lung cancer are surviving due to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. New treatment options and surgical techniques are giving lung cancer survivors more hope than they've ever had before. Clinical trials are currently underway at Yale Cancer Center, Connecticut's federally designated comprehensive cancer center, to test innovative new treatments for lung cancer. Patients enrolled in these trials are given access to newly available medicines which have not yet been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org.
2: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Ken Miller and I'm here with my co-host Dr. Ed Chu, and Dr. David LaFell who's discussing the latest information on skin cancer.
1: David, before the break we were <coughs> talking about uh, how a diagnosis of skin cancer is made. So once in fact the diagnosis is, is made, confirmed by the uh, dermatopathologist, what, what are the next steps involved?
3: Well, the, the next step, of course, is to treat the skin cancer, and there's good news there. Uh, most uh, treatments for skin cancer, basal cell cancer and squamous cell cancer, are very straightforward and more often than not can be performed by your dermatologist in the dermatologist's office. And depending on the type of skin cancer it is, and we make decisions about how the skin cancer appears under the microscope because there are different types of basal cell cancer, just like there are different types of Chevrolets or Toyotas. So depending on the model of skin cancer you have, uh, one treatment or another might be recommended. And the treatments can range from scraping and burning it off to... Uh, actually excising it, cutting it out in the office under local anesthetic or uh, you may have find that your dermatologist wants to refer you to someone who specializes in an advanced form of treating skin cancer called Mohs microscopic surgery and this technique is reserved for skin cancers on the face uh, in in important cosmetic areas where you want to minimize the surgery uh, recurrent cancers, large cancers And the advantage of this technique, in which the uh, specially trained dermatologist actually reads the pathology slides during the removal of the cancer, uh, the advantage is that it's got the highest cure rate, and it leads to preservation of the most amount of tissue so that the end result can be cosmetically optimal as well. In addition to surgery, which is the gold standard, recently uh, new treatments have become available uh, in the form of creams. One in particular, called Aldara, is a cream that is applied to the skin and stimulates the immune system, your own immune system, to fight off the cancer cells. Now, this cream uh, is used for only certain types of skin cancer, as I said earlier, certain models of basal cell cancer. Uh, But uh, you should ask your dermatologist whether your particular skin cancer would be appropriate uh, for that approach. And increasingly, as we move forward, as we understand how skin cancer uh, forms and grows, uh, we're going to continue to have other treatments that will be uh, non-surgical. One, for example, is called photodynamic therapy. And in that situation, uh, we paint a solution onto the growth and uh, wait a while to, so to allow it to incubate, and then shine a light, uh, which activates the solution, which then uh, kills the the cancer cells, and and that's an approach that you'll be hearing more about.
1: David, I'm just uh, curious, maybe to follow up more <coughs> on on this cream that you just mentioned. So, is the cream to treat the uh, the skin cancer itself, or is it to be used once once the removal has been done, and to then try to prevent the skin cancer from coming back?
3: Well, that's a great question. In fact. Uh, it has FDA indications for, for treatment. Uh, so we would use this instead mm. of surgery, but uh, those of us that spend all day treating skin cancer have used it and will probably in- use it more and more as a preventative in certain patients because it does seem to function that way as well.
2: That's a fascinating thought that the immune system can be used to fight skin cancer. Uh, can you tell us more about that? And I, and I also want to ask too, is the skin a, uh, active
3: from an immune point of view? Well, it turns out that uh, the humble skin turns out to be, in my humble opinion, the most important immune organ in the body. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because our skin is our first uh, interface with our environment. So where would you need your immune defenses to be the greatest? Well, in your skin. And there's been an enormous amount of research over the past three decades focusing on how the skin functions as an immune organ. Let me put it in a simple context that I think listeners will understand If any of you uh, listening have ever had a cold sore, you know that it can be activated after you've been out in the sun. Well, why is that? Turns out ultraviolet B from the sun will suppress the immune system of the skin, thus giving the virus a chance to get reactivated. Mm -hmm. So in that little anecdote, you can appreciate immediately how important the immune system is of the skin. And what Aldara does is it stimulates your natural immune capacity to destroy the skin cancer. We know, for example, that uh, people who ha- are immune suppressed for medical reasons, uh, patients that have kidney transplants, have an increased risk of skin cancer. And that's because their immune system has been suppressed, thus allowing their precancerous cells to, to, to grow.
1: David, once a skin cancer has been treated, um, what, what are the recommendations that you give to patients with respect to, to follow-up?
3: Well, I think that um, the type of people that that are at risk for skin cancer are those with uh, blonde uh, or red hair, blue, green, or gray eyes, uh, fair skin, the people that tend to burn rather than tan, and those of you listening who fit that description know who you are because you've probably already had sunburns in childhood and and have to take special uh, care not to get sunburned on a daily basis when you're outside. So it's this group of people that are at greatest risk for skin cancer, and I recommend that they uh, have a full-body skin examination once a year and then um, at the six-month point have at least an examination of their sun-exposed areas. More often than not, uh, patients who have had a skin cancer have a chance of getting another one. In fact, if you've had one basal cell cancer on the face, you've got a 40% chance of getting another one Mm -hmm. within five years. Uh, So you've got to be vigilant and alert to new uh, lumps and bumps that come up. Don't get so paranoid that you're not able to enjoy life, but be alert to things that come up that bleed, that heal, that come back, and make sure they're evaluated by your dermatologist. Are there, are there machines that will scan the
2: entire body and, and uh, record uh, what things look like?
3: Well, <laughs> we haven't yet arrived at the uh, ultimate Buck Rogers world of dermatology. Mm-hmm. And you'll read a lot in the popular magazines about devices that allow your doctor to map your moles. Uh, and, and basically, these are uh, very well-designed uh, cameras, photographic methods. Um, it's still the case that the best computer sits between the two ears of the dermatologist. And I also say that patients themselves have a sixth sense. It's uncanny. I've uh, noticed this over the past 20 years. Patients will come in and say, you know, Doc, uh, I don't like this thing. And they'll point to a growth on their arm, and uh, we'll look at it. And, you know, uh, vis-a-vis that pattern recognition I mentioned earlier it doesn't seem like much But I teach our residents that if a patient has a spot that they don't like, even if it looks normal to us, it's got to be biopsied because patients have a sixth sense. They have a sixth sense that no computer could ever have. David, I want
2: to ask you about some of the work that's been done at Yale on identifying a skin cancer gene.
3: This was a very exciting development. Uh, we follow a group of patients that have a genetic syndrome. It's not very common, but these are people who uh, we've known for a long time make you know dozens, in fact, hundreds of skin cancers. And Alan Bale, who's a leading genetic researcher at Yale and the Cancer Center, uh, uh, led the effort to identify the cancer gene, working with the patients that we were taking care of and others. In 1996, we published... Uh, the actual gene that underlies this syndrome. In work that we subsequently did, it turns out that 70% of people with just non-inherited skin cancer, basal cell cancer, have this gene as well. Uh, Having a gene uh, identified is one thing, taking advantage of it is another. At the Dermatologic Surgery Cutaneous Oncology Unit at Yale, we have an active clinical trials program as part of the Cancer Center. And most recently, we conducted a very early phase study where we applied a topical agent, a drug that's been used in other conditions, uh, but which we had reason to believe would have an effect on the abnormality that the gene causes in skin cancer. We're still analyzing that data, but this is a good example of what we nowadays call translational research. In other words, we identify something in the laboratory and we then seek to find a way to move it into the patient arena, move it into a treatment or a diagnostic device that helps you, the listener, the patient, get better. And the Cancer Center itself uh, is very strongly focused on translational uh, research. Um, with my administrative hat on, I'll proudly say that Yale recently won a very major uh, grant uh, for uh, advancing clinical research at Yale, and of course, the cancer center itself is a national cancer institute designated comprehensive cancer center
1: again, not, not to toot our own horn, but but again, you know, we believe that that 's the, the the significant advantage of a designated comprehensive cancer center where we take the the, the the best and brightest ideas from the laboratory and then bring them into the clinic and what 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 you 're doing. In your uh, cutaneous oncology program, really, I think uh, uh, highlights that that translational research that's going on here.
3: I, I it does, and uh, frankly, it's one of the many rewarding aspects of a university-based practice. I think that to be able to tell a patient who we've been doing surgery on for years that you know, uh, pretty soon we're going to have non-surgical approaches to to managing your skin cancer is a goal that we can all share in and look forward to.
1: David, I know that also you're working very closely with Susan Maine and her group in the Cancer Prevention and Control uh, program of the Yale Cancer Center. Perhaps you could uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about that?
3: Yes, there are several projects that we're involved in. Um, uh, that take advantage of the uh, epidemiology strength. And epidemiology is actually the study of populations and diseases in populations and it allows us to look at big numbers and understand why, for example, as is the case with one of the grants that we have, skin cancer appears to be increasing in young people. Is it a change in uh, behavior, as we talked about earlier, or is there something else happening in the environment? Another interesting study that we're doing is uh, a kind of high-tech study where we're trying to see if we can measure uh, levels of uh, carotene, a vitamin A type of nutrient uh, in the body without taking any blood, just by using a laser, putting it on the skin, and seeing if we can adequately measure what are called serum carotene levels. Why is this important? We hear so much about the role of diet and nutrition in cancer, whether it's antioxidants in blueberries or pomegranate juice or or green tea. Uh, But the ability to actually do good studies and figure out whether these nutrients really help decrease skin cancer depends on getting accurate measures of those compounds in the body. You can't really rely on what someone says they had for breakfast. You really have to get numbers. And so if we can find a way... To using a probe on the skin to get a sense of how much carotene a person has you can screen large numbers of people and really get good scientific data about the role of nutrition in cancer uh,
2: David as we're about to close any uh, any uh, last minute thoughts you want to share recommendations with the with the listening audience
3: I think that when it comes to skin cancer prevention is still the number one approach and I'd like to sign off if you will by reminding people to use sunscreen on a regular basis. Ignore labels that talk about waterproof or longevity. Apply every couple of hours while while you're active outdoors. Make sure it has a sun protection factor of 30 or so and that it protects against UVA rays. Wear a brimmed hat. Baseball cap isn't good for your ears. Wear a brimmed cap uh, that goes all around. Uh, Wear sun protective clothing and avoid the sun during the peak hours, say between 10 and 4. Play in the shade, if you will. Well, I wanna thank uh, Dr. David LaFell for joining us at uh, Yale Cancer Center Answers.
1: Yeah, David, thank you so much. This has been a terrific session and we look forward to hearing from you in the future. Until next week, this is Dr. Ed Chu. And Dr. Ken Miller. From the Yale Cancer Center, wishing you a safe and healthy week.